0: some of the biggest issues really have been just a lack of record. So a lender may have received payment for something that was paid off several years ago, but it was through some sort of acquisition. Like for instance, we know Wachovia closed down and Wells Fargo acquired all of those loans. So when someone goes to the closing table and signs that everything is taken care of and they're paying off this loan, from Wachovia and it goes to Wells Fargo. Some of those documents and records may be a little bit more in depth than what it would be if it was just a Wells Fargo loan paid to Wells Fargo.
1: Have you ever wondered what happens to all the paperwork you sign after closing on a house? There are a lot of behind-the-scenes professionals working to make sure ownership information is recorded correctly. Without the proper follow-up, one missing document could cause major problems for a new homeowner in the future. I spoke with Ayla Pettyjohn, team lead of our release tracking and title curative departments, about the work that happens after closing and why things sometimes go wrong. She shared some important tips for both home buyers and title professionals. Here's that interview. Hey. Hey. How are you? I am well. How are you? Doing pretty well. Just trying to get through the Monday. (laughs) Before we get started, I wanted to ask you to tell me first a little bit about yourself and your background in the real estate industry.
0: I am currently the team lead for our release tracking, curative, and payoff letter department's And for me, I came from a background in mortgage first, and then I worked for a title company as well. And so I've been on just about every side of the real estate industry that you can without being trained as a realtor. Yeah. It sounds like you have a lot
1: of experience in various pockets related to real estate uh, closings. And so I, I'm curious, you know, because most home buyers probably don't think about what happens to all the paperwork they sign on closing day. Can you go through the typical steps of what happens on the mortgage
0: side post closing? Absolutely. So I think we kind of get caught up in thinking that pre-closing and all of the preparation that goes into making sure that a loan gets to the closing step and the closing table are would be the most important side. But in reality, what happens post-closing is equally as important because that's where kind of the magic happens. When you go in and you sign for closing, Everything then gets sent to the lender and your mortgage with, you know, a deed if there was a change of hands for the sale of a property and any of the important paperwork that might have been necessary will be sent for recording for public record. Well, all of those pieces happening is what initiates the process for something that you paid off to be released. And so all of these kind of converge and show the proof of in the pudding, so to speak, of everything that happened when you were doing all of those preparations and signing all of that paperwork. And by sending those funds, that pays off maybe a mortgage or some other type of loan that was out there. And then those funds and the paperwork that was all signed and recorded are what tell the lender or lien holder that this now needs to be released or satisfied and they can go ahead and initiate that process on their side.
1: And for people who might be listening that who aren't title agents, maybe they're real estate agents or home buyers or real estate investors, can you describe a little bit about what a title defect is, what the role of title insurance and the title agent is in a real estate closing?
0: Absolutely. So a title defect is what kind of pops up when the searcher does a background research on the home and just trying to figure out anything and everything that's affiliated with that property and anything that was under the names or similar name to the current owner, just to make sure that all the bases are covered. So a title defect comes up when they realize the requirement of, oh, this mortgage was supposed to be released or satisfied when it was paid. And now we find out that document was never recorded or it was recorded with some type of error and in order for it to be 100 percent clear then we want that to be completed and we want it to be completed up to the standard that it should be so title insurance is something that protects the owner of a property which if you buy a new construction home, it looks super simple because you have a person who owned the property, built the home and now is selling it to you. But if it's been around for several decades, it may have changed hands more than one time and your title insurance is there to protect you from some issue that may pop up on your title of the property in your ownership And it prevents someone from being able to walk up, knock on your door, and say, hey, this is actually my property. And so the importance of making sure that things are recorded correctly, without error, and on time kind of all fits in together with the title search to find those defects and the title insurance. So your title agent is the person who sort of facilitates all of those steps together.
1: And you mentioned new builds, but I know even with new construction, there can be underlying issues that you may not necessarily anticipate because of the way the vacant lot may have been split or because of things like, you know, contractor or mechanic liens and things like that. So it is, it can be pretty complex regardless of what type of property you are purchasing, right?
0: Yes, exactly. So there are so many little things that you don't think of, when you think of title, you think, oh, it changed hands for property ownership and that would cover everything. But like you said about those liens or any issue that may have come up down the road, it's going to encompass all of that to make sure that those get cleared.
1: I notice a lot of times when I'm speaking to people who are asking about our services, we we do both release tracking and title curative work. Sometimes people can get the two confused. So can you go over real quickly, what is release tracking? What is title curative work? And how do these services differ?
0: Sure. So for release tracking, this sounds just almost exactly like what it is. When a loan or lien or judgment is paid, then a release is meant to be recorded. And that document just basically states that the leaner or the lien holder received the funds for whatever type of lien they held, whether it's a mortgage or a vendor's lien or mechanics lien like you listed. All of those would be encompassed under the same type of document we call a release, sometimes under a different name like a satisfaction. And that document says we've received funds, everything is paid, and this lien is no longer in effect on this property for this borrower. So we track that release post-closing to make sure A, it gets recorded with the public record, and B, that it's recorded without error because that is one of the requirements with your title insurance to make sure that that step takes place so that it doesn't cause a defect down the road. Curative is sort of what we're trying to prevent as far as doing the job of release tracking. Because when you have a curative issue, that means perhaps 10 years ago, a release was recorded with an error or a release was not recorded at all. And those are the most common types of issues that we see with curative work. And that means that it'll have to be circled back to to get all of the information to go to that original lender or lien holder and to check through to make sure that, yes, this was paid and this step was never taken or this correction now needs to be made Because it's outstanding and that has created that defect on title.
1: Can you maybe share some general best practice tips that you would give to title agents regarding release tracking? And also maybe mention some ways in which a home buyer can educate themselves or homeowner to ensure you know these documents aren't sort of falling through the cracks after they're closing.
0: Yeah, so some general best practices. Um, It's really difficult to rely on just hoping to remember something. Using your calendar as a reminder, you know, closing took place today, April 5th, and now 60 days from this date, the lender is supposed to complete this task of recording this release document. So I'm going to put this on my calendar for 60 days out and remind myself that that's the day on which this needs to take place. I know one of the great ways that this can all work together is every month. Sometimes the beginning of the month is slower. So taking one day to set aside the time to go back through post-closing documents and make sure that all of those releases are recorded and recorded with necessary information. All of that in one fell swoop of just doing a bunch of those searches for your previous month or previous two months closings helps as well. And then if possible, having one dedicated person who is going to be following up on post-closing tasks. I know when I was working in a title office, I was closing files, but I was also working on writing our policies. And so part of my process was to work splitting my time to do post-closing. And if that person has the bandwidth to utilize that time that they're already working on a post-closing task, like policies, then they could also be checking to see if those recorded releases are available and to check those for errors. And then for our homeowners, knowing that there's so much documentation that does get sent out when you close a home, there's gonna be a lot of junk mail and that's unfortunate. But checking to see all of the documents that are sent when you do close and you do receive a bunch of information, because a lot of our lenders actually have a common practice of sending either a letter or the actual release document to the borrower who just paid off their loan. And so checking to make sure, did my lender complete their job and send this for recording? That's one of those steps that you can take to just check on it. And honestly, most lenders are pretty open and welcoming to questions. And if you have a point of contact like your loan officer or maybe a broker to speak with them and ask, what are the steps that are going to be taken after my loan is paid off? relying on your title company, asking questions to them about how this process is going to take place. And there will be times when it takes a little while to get those answers because it may be something that's not as readily available to that individual, but someone knows the answer. And being able to rely on your title company and your lender is a big way of helping yourself to know the steps that are going to be taken and ensure that they are taken.
1: Right. And it's important for, I think, homeowners to understand to who they would be reaching out to if they are you know, paying off their loan and still living in their home versus paying off a loan through the sale of a home. And so, can you maybe talk a little bit more, drill down into that a little bit more so that people understand the difference between paying off a loan as the current homeowner versus paying off the loan through the real estate transaction?
0: Sure. So, a seller who is selling the home and paying off a mortgage or some type of loan on that home and they're going to be leaving the premises. The steps that are taken after that loan is paid off are actually going to initiate the same way. The difference is that the communication will be forwarded to the seller from their prior lender and If that information is provided to them, it's going to kind of break down the steps that that lender has taken already. And when someone is refinancing a home, they are going to remain in their home. The step of paying off your previous loan and taking on this new one, it still requires a release document to be recorded. So that part of the process remains the same. What might be a little bit simpler is having that communication. I know a lot of folks end up refinancing with the same lender, but even if you change lenders, having communication with the people involved in the process and asking those questions of what steps do I need to take now that my loan is paid off because you are getting a new loan and it doesn't necessarily carry over your old one or anything like that. A release does still need to be signed. Right. And so, you know, having worked in the
1: mortgage industry, what are some of the common issues you've seen in resolving title defects or preventing them stemming from a missing satisfaction or release?
0: I think that some of the biggest issues really have been just a lack of record. A lender may have received payment for something that was paid off several years ago but it was through some sort of acquisition. Like for instance, we know Wachovia closed down and Wells Fargo acquired all of those loans. So when someone goes to the closing table and signs that everything is taken care of and they're paying off this loan from Wachovia and it goes to Wells Fargo, some of those documents and records may be a little bit more in-depth than what it would be if it was just a Wells Fargo loan paid to Wells Fargo. And keeping really great records is a huge help to both the homeowner and the lender because it shows that paper trail, even if it's just an electronic copy, right? We have some sort of trail that can be traced to show Where this originated, when it was paid, and then the steps that would have been taken after it was paid. And so we see a lot of issues with those records not being in place or being convoluted and therefore causing some issues. But also that missing satisfaction or release can be an issue later down the road because the company went bankrupt. And no one has records for it now. So those sorts of things are one of the most common issues that we deal with.
1: Can we talk a little bit more too about, you know, other types of loan products and how those can affect, you know, that follow-up and potential issues that it might cause for a new homeowner, things like HELOCs and open end mortgages.
0: Definitely. I actually just had this come up recently, as a matter of fact, where a home equity line of credit was paid to a zero balance at closing, and the instruction was this needs to be paid and this account needs to be closed in order for this lender to sign a release document. After closing... Obviously, this was paid to a zero balance when they were at the closing table. And a termination letter, which this is called different things depending on different lenders, but this letter basically states it is our intent to not only close this account to a zero balance, but to close this account to future advance, to future borrowing. And so, with that, the the customer actually went back post closing and added more funds to borrow against rather than sending a letter and closing that account entirely. So if that account has a new balance, it cannot be released. So that termination letter, that letter stating we not only wish to close this to a zero balance, but to close this account to future advance borrowing is a huge step. And it encompasses not only the borrower, but also your title agent, making sure that this is facilitated and that lender obtaining that letter to be able to release that document. Hmm. So I'm, I'm curious
1: if the, the borrower or the former homeowner in this case, did they not understand the
0: terms of the HELOC? In this particular example that I gave, our seller was thinking you know, oh, this was my refinance. And so I paid this to a zero balance. So that's sufficient to release my previous line of credit for that amount, rather than thinking of the whole account and that this could be future borrowing availability. And so understanding those terms of this is something that you can go back, especially for states that use that phrase like future advance mortgage or future advance loan, meaning that this is something that is flexible, which is great. But if it's a requirement by the title company for insuring purposes to state, not only is it paid to a zero balance, but this account is closed altogether, that's where I think Things can get a little tricky to make sure that those terms are fully understood, that closed doesn't just mean a zero balance, but also that this account is closed to future borrowing. And a second mortgage, in my experience, has generally been a second loan, perhaps with the same lender, perhaps with a different lender, but it is in place with the same concept of using your home as collateral, but there is no future advance borrowing opportunity. That loan would be under a term, like a 10 or 15 or 30 year mortgage would be. And it would be set that on the date of maturity, that loan would be paid in its full balance, either on that date or prior to that date. And that would be the end of that mortgage account existing.
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense. And to compare a HELOC more to a credit card, you know, you have a credit card, you close out that credit card, you cannot use that again at any sort of vendor or shop or store. It'll be rejected, right? So you've got to open up right. another account if you want to continue to use a line of credit with that particular company. Precisely. So I'm curious. Have you seen any sort of impact on the recording of releases and title curative work increasing because of the COVID-19 pandemic?
0: Most definitely. I know at the beginning of kind of the pandemic shutdowns and the necessary steps that were taken last year where people were going home to work, a lot of folks just did not have preparation in place to be able to do this. And so as they were going home to be safe, you know, they're working from a laptop and they don't have all of their files available and maybe not everything that they needed was in a cloud-based system where multiple people could access it at one time. And so it created a lot of delays with being able to search through records, with being able to access files. And then a lot of the county clerks and county recorders offices had to shut down for several months, or they could only have one person or two people working in the office for months on end or on a rotation. And that slowed things down on their side significantly. And so seeing all of the things that went into that, it did create delays pretty well across the board for folks who were trying to research into our requests for releases, as well as any of our title curative orders being delayed immensely just because people couldn't search in databases because they didn't have access to it while they were working from home and different scenarios that just created these hurdles. But over the last year, a lot of places have been able to create some more flexibility. They've gotten set up in a better capacity and we've seen a lot of recovery from that in the last couple of months.
1: That's good to hear that there's been some recovery and even opportunities for employment for people in some of the industries related to real estate. So title curative work, you would say is a pretty in-depth and can be a really complex process to go through and actually be able to cure a title defect. What are some of the tips that you would give to title agents who might be having trouble with tracking a lien that was paid off but was never properly released?
0: I think the biggest thing um, that I have personally experienced is just to keep digging. It sounds silly, but the more you research and the more you dig for something, there are so many um, not only government-based but also um, privately-owned databases that can be accessed. If you look at places like the FFIEC or the FDIC, the SEC, all of the, you know, acronym companies where they compile information for financial institutions and they'll create a history. So a company that went bankrupt 20 years ago that was acquired by a still-existing institution today, those will be listed. And it does take quite a bit of fine-tuned Googling after a while to access some of that, but saving information that you've used in the past for, you know, certain databases or certain contacts that you've had. I know in some cases we have gotten to the point where we're not 100% sure where to take something, and so we do what we call kind of a shotgun request, and we pick our, you know, five to ten largest entities who we know have acquired so many institutions over the years, and we just send them a request and say, please check your records and see if this loan in particular for this property was one that you acquired. And sometimes that's all it takes to have a response come back and they say, oh, yeah, that was ours and we acquired this in 2002 and we'll work on this as soon as possible. We had a particular property that the oldest loan was from 1970 and there were, I would say, probably 10 or so refinance loans that had been recorded over the years. And of those, about five of them were never released or a satisfaction document was not signed. And we researched for four of them and were able to quickly find the answer. But for one in particular, we had to dig a little bit deeper, a little extra. And it was a matter of, really, we found out that this very old company had been acquired and had been acquired. And, you know, those companies had also (laughs) shut down. And then ending up discovering that an entity that no longer lends for mortgage, but still signs the releases of their mortgages was the responsible party. And it Just was this really drawn out process because no one had proof of the payoff. And there were lots of little details that were hung up along the way, but it eventually ended up working out. And it was about a four month long process for just being able to dig through the history of these companies to figure out the proper party that could actually sign on behalf of this ancient loan. With title curative, obviously things can go in a bunch of different directions. So keeping contact for the people that you've dealt with in the past is a huge help. And I know I've got a couple of folks just I've sent them requests in the past and it ended up, you know, turning into a conversation we could have. And those points of contact are now people that if I'm not a hundred percent sure of whether their company could possibly have received the loan for which I'm researching, I can pick up the phone and I can call that person and say, hey, do you mind to just check through some of your records and let me know if this was one that you acquired along the way? And being able to relate to that person and have that connection makes such a difference when you're not sending all of your requests to a general mailbox and hoping that the multiple week turnaround time is going to produce enough of a result for you to complete your request. Going back
1: to this whole concept of digging and finding the right records. The the public record is intended to act as the main source of truth for lien releases, but how do you think private property record systems like title plants and MERS has affected your ability and other people's ability to do
0: research properly and find the right parties to reach out to? I think in, I would say, almost every case, it's been a huge benefit because we're all human. And mistakes are made, and something may be missed along the way, or a particular document doesn't contain all of the information that would assist in doing the research behind finding the details about an institution or about a particular loan. And so having other systems that keep records and can help along the way, being able to go in and research by a property or research by Um, an electronic registry number, things like that, it can be extremely helpful to track down the right direction. And maybe it won't be immediately answered, but it may send you in the right avenue to find that answer and get that resolution. And so what you and, you know,
1: the rest of the team at PropLogix working on title curative work, you're essentially like the detectives using these disparate systems to sort of bring all the clues together and to help a title agent move forward on their closing.
0: Yes, exactly, I know. You know, there's a lot of jokes about we all have that one FBI friend that can track down this new guy who talked to you and gave you his number just by his first name and all of that. And really, that's what we do for title. And, you know, you give us this company name and all of a sudden we're sending you this big, long list of possible successor companies or, you know, all of the information that we're able to locate and kind of doing our own little trace for those.
1: That's great. I love I love that metaphor. That's a really great analogy, I think. So talk a little bit more about these other systems, all those acronym websites that you mentioned before and all the Googling that you do within those financial institutions and some of the tips that you would give to title agents who are trying to do title curative work?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, One of my personal favorites is the FFIEC, and that's the Federal Financial Institutions Examination Council. And it houses a lot of not only banks and mortgage companies, but lending institutions from throughout all kinds of different experiences. And these institutions give you the opportunity to research by active and inactive and search to kind of go through successors and a history and get a little more information about the background to a particular bank or lending institution, mortgage company. And I love using it because I can break it down and find out kind of a trail of saying, okay, this company from 50 years ago that closed was acquired by that company that closed 30 years ago was acquired by this company that's still active. And I can show a list in that history of how it came to be and why I believe it is the responsibility of this currently active institution. And then places like MERS, Um, It's a completely free opportunity, and they give you any loan that was listed with what they have as a mortgage identification number, and it's registered with Mortgage Electronic Registry Service, who is MERS, and you can go in and research by the property address, by that identification number, and be able to find out who the last known servicing institution was for that particular loan. And then the FDIC, who we're all familiar with, they service a lot for the banks. And you can go through and research and find out from them the history behind a particular bank. They also have lists on their website of defunct institutions where those institutions that may no longer be in existence but the top 25 or the top 50 they know okay this is now owned by blank company and this is definitely a closed institution and i would say one of the underrated opportunities is really going through local state and municipality records because an institution may not have signed any sort of mortgage or assignment of mortgage or release document for the last 20 years, but there may be a judgment on record against them. And you can find out who the most recent individual was that was responsible or who signed on behalf of them as a registered agent and tracking down through that trail definitely helps when you have no other lead or opportunity.
1: Wow. That's uh, that's really great information. And I'm you know, very impressed by the level of Detective Sherlock Holmes uh, characteristics that you have. And I think you've given some really great tips. Is there anything else that you would like to share with title agents or real estate agents or anyone else who might be listening?
0: I think that... Really, the only additional opportunity or item that I could give is just keep all the records, (laughs) even if you think you don't need it, even if the government says you only need it for seven years. I feel like keeping those records is going to be more helpful than harmful in the long run, Uh, even if it's just a scanned copy of a document. Um, I have seen so many folks, and it's super tragic that... They experience a house fire or, you know, a flood. Something happens and all of their home records, all of their documents, all of those irreplaceable things are destroyed in minutes. And so keeping it somewhere safe, keeping it um, on some type of electronic system that you can access definitely hugely recommend, even if you think you won't need it, because we have definitely seen so many times where I just did a clean out last year and I threw out all my old documentation and now I need it. (laughs) So definitely keep everything.
1: Well, Ayla, I want to thank you again so much for taking time to speak with me today about all of this information, it's been really helpful, and I think our audience is really going to love it.
0: Definitely want to shout out the release tracking and curative teams here at Logics. They do impossible things every day, and I definitely want to recognize them for all the hard work that they put in because I have told them on multiple occasions that anything that looks insurmountable is probably something that they're going to get through and accomplish. They are phenomenal and they do a great job. They're super dedicated and they definitely deserve to be recognized for that.
1: Thanks for tuning in for our first episode of season two. Thanks again to Ayla and the release tracking and title curative teams at PropLogix for all their hard work. If you'd like to learn more about our services, check out our website, PropLogix.com. That's P-R-O-P-L-O-G-I-X.com. Title Talks is produced by Proplogics and myself. Original music is by Cole Sando. Original graphics are by Jordan Norris. Until next time, happy closings.